Well, good morning, church. Good morning, indeed. Indeed. How's everybody doing? All right, good. All right, so I got a criticism last time that I moved too fast, so God thought it'd be a joke to give me 13 minutes this sermon. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're going to see how this is going to work, but uh, we're going to go ahead and give it a shot. So we are in this sermon called Life's a Beach. One of the things that kind of go with beaches is relaxation and peace. When we were splitting up sermons, you know, I drew the peace one, which is like a good and a bad thing. Because everybody like knows scriptures about peace, at least for the people who have been saved and whatnot. It's a relatively easy concept to kind of understand and grasp. But we're going to come at it from a much, much different angle today. We're going to talk about what not to do to have peace. Talk about the pitfalls and where we do and where we get tripped up. So we're going to do two things this morning. We're going to explain where peace doesn't come from and why it's a bad idea to put faith in them. And they're going to explain where peace does come from and consequently why it's a good idea to have faith in it. All right, are you guys ready? You guys ready? You did not sound ready. All right, cool, let's do this. So before we get started, we, we, we've got to kind of have a base level um, to kind of build off of. And the thing that I want to build off of is the fact that we live in a very narcissistic society. For those of y'all that don't know, the word, a narcissist is somebody who is very self-absorbed. They believe the universe revolves around them. If it's not in it for them, they don't want to be a part of it. If something good's not going to happen, or they don't feel good, or it doesn't meet their needs, they're not a part of it. Everybody just got a name in their head or a face. It's your job to pray for them, don't slap them. But there's a narcissist in every row. There's a narcissist in every one of us. In fact, it's, the na- it's that narcissistic nature inside of us that's the hardest thing to deal with because it's an innate nature. But the main issue with narcissism is it has us do what's called a paradigm shift. It's where our internal perspective changes. You know, you have an, out, you have an external perspective, typically, if, you know, if your optic nerves and all that stuff work right. But you also have an intern- internal perspective, and that's called your paradigm. You have a paradigm shift when you're a narcissist because what happens is the focus goes from whatever it was on to now it's on you. And you cannot have a peaceful life living like that. And we're going to explain why. But this is not a new issue. The root of this is plain old selfishness. So, example. I don't have kids, so I had to look this up. A newborn's like first couple words, mama, dad, dad, and can anybody guess the third one? No. No. And tied with no is mine. You know what I mean? A mine mentality. Who taught that baby that? Nobody. Nobody had to teach that baby that. Why? It's an innate part of our personality. Nobody had to teach you to be self-centered and look out for you. Nobody did. It was a part of the consequence of the fall and all that. So this is not a new issue. There was a guy in 1943 named Abraham Maslow. And he came up with what's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. It's used to explain people's behavior. It's also used to explain motivations, um, how needs are met. It does a bunch of things. The issue is, as believers, we don't subscribe to this. We're going to walk through it real quick, though. Physiological, this is like food, water, shelter, things like that. The absolute necessities you need to survive. All my psychology majors are probably real mad at me because I'm butchering this right now, but that's okay. The things you need to survive, it's the first thing. When you wake up in the morning, first thing you do, 
usually, grab some breakfast. You're not thinking about your self-esteem or your self-actualization or your relationships with everybody else. You're trying to find some food. And as this pyramid works, when you fill one need, you immediately are motivated by the one above it. So your physiological needs are met, then you start looking out for safety. When you start looking out for safety, then you start looking at loving and belonging relationships. When you're done with that, you start looking at self-esteem and self-image and how you appear to other people. And finally, at the top of the pyramids, what's called self-actualization. Self-actualization is a tricky concept because it all has to do with maximizing the person you can be. It's like if you're on your deathbed dying, do you feel you reached your maximum capacity? I'm going to read a quote from it. Like I said, this came from a paper in 1943 called A Theory of Human Motivation. One of the quotes is, it's quite true, and this is from Maslow himself, it's quite true that man lives by bread alone when there is no bread. But what happens to a man's desires when there's plenty of bread and his belly is chronologically filled? And he's explaining how his thing works. Automatically, I know there's a bunch of red flags going up. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. But the main issue I have with this is this is pretty much just human nature, unsaved human nature put on a graph. This is what I mean. This whole pyramid revolves around you, your needs, what you want, your image, your self-actualization, your safety. And then it makes another, I don't want to say a mistake, but it makes another assumption that you are responsible for filling these needs for yourself. So now not only does the entire universe revolve around you according to this model, which is largely accepted to be true according to human nature, it also expects you to do the filling yourself. And this has been a pretty common accepted uh, psychological principle since the 40s. And then we wonder why a lot of us don't have peace. Well, I got to fill this whole pyramid and it's my responsibility and the world revolves around me. The problem is when you get to the top of self-actualization, you don't get peace there. All you're trying to do is maximize what you're at. You can't give yourself peace. The best model of human psychology we can come with to understand human nature cannot provide you peace. So like I said, we're going to do two things. Determine where it doesn't come from and then determine where it does come from. Talking about self-actualization, this is kind of like where self-help books fall into play. I like self-help books. I think, I think they're pretty cool. I'm not knocking them. But to put this in perspective, the self-help has been an industry since 1996. It's its own industry. This thought process of self-help is its own industry. It's a thought that's an industry. It's worth $11 billion a year, per year. It has been growing at a compounded rate of 6%. It's one of the fastest growing industries. Why? Because people are hollow. People don't have peace. They're using a worldly model to try to get here. Then you're like, why am I telling you, why, why am I telling you all this? What does it have to do with peace? Because the very first step to having any type of peace whatsoever, you ready? The realization peace doesn't come from you. You can nail that model. You can get everything in that model. You can do everything. You will not have peace. This is not just a scriptural principle. This is a secular principle as well. Even psychologists look at that and they're like, yeah, you can try to fulfill your potentials as much as you can, but at the end of the day, you're still going to come up short. Which, if we weren't Christians, would be a terrible thing. Be awful. Good news is, is, I hope we are. And we're here at church. So this is what Jesus says about the thing. John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We've all seen this one for the most part. But referring back to Maslow in his hierarchy of needs, he directly addresses it. I do not give to you as the world gives. If you're looking for peace in the way in which the world gets it, you're going to come up short. It is not the peace of God. I'm just, just going to let you know. I'm not making a claim whether it's good or bad. I'm just telling you the peace that comes from human nature that we try to go after is not the peace of God. Plain and simple. The other thing he says is this is my peace I give to you. Not your peace or anybody else's. This is my peace I give to you, not according to the world. So literally everything we just talked about, Jesus addresses when he's talking about peace. The trick is to see why having faith in anything else is foolish. If we can do that, it will take little to no effort to having faith in what we should have, right? So if we can debunk all the things that we normally have faith in and all we're left is what we should, then we should be good to go and it should take little to no effort. So we're going to go through a couple examples real quick. But in order for these examples to work... You've got to help. You've got to kind of meet me in the middle and make them relatable to yourself. Okay, I'm going to give you a bunch of examples for me, but every, all the examples that I give you, you're going to have to attach something to you for them to mean anything at all. Okay, you promise? It was like five people. All right, the rest of you, you promise? All right, cool. The first thing that we place a lot of faith in is circumstances. It's really easy to do. We do this without even thinking about it. We do this on a subconscious level. When people ask you, how are you, how, like, how are you doing? The first thing most people do is start rattling off their circumstances. Oh, I'm good. Job's good. House's good. Everything's good. It has nothing to do with them whatsoever. It's just a list of circumstances that just so happen to be good or bad. We do it because, so for each one of these, I'm going to go through why we do it and then why it's a bad idea. Okay? Why we do it. Circumstances are tangible. They're the most tangible things we have in our life. We are finite, time-based creatures, right? We do not exist outside of time, and we are not infinite. We have to have some type of time skill to relate to, and the only one that we have is circumstances, where we're at in this present moment in time. We also do it because they have a direct effect on every aspect of our life. You cannot escape circumstances. You cannot have a bad circumstance and just decide to remove yourself from it. It doesn't work. Many times we define ourselves by our current circumstances. How many of y'all look in the bank and there's money and you're in a good mood? I know I do that. I got overdrawn this last week and my wife was like, babe, what's your problem? I really had to think about that. Finally, I just came to the conclusion. I was like, man, I'm overdrawn. It's not fun to be overdrawn. But whether it's your job or your finances or your family, You cannot define yourself by that current circumstance. And here's why. So let's go through the reasons of why we shouldn't do that. Any reason is it doesn't take much faith. You don't have to have much faith in God when things are going well. I'm not trying to get super personal or offend anybody. But I guarantee you, if everybody in here won the Powerball with the stipulation that you tithe, everybody would do it. Right? Because nobody, nobody needs to teach you how to be thankful when you win the Powerball. You're thankful. You're going to church. You're Saint whatever, Saint Powerball winner, $175 million richer. You're great. Why? Because it doesn't take much faith when you're defined by your circumstances. When your circumstances are good, 
Faith's good. Everybody knows people like this. And when circumstances are bad, faith is nowhere to be found. Anxiety creeps in. Depression creeps in. You know, turmoil creeps in. Why? Because their definition of success depends on where they are in that current moment in time. That's the killer. The other reason it's a bad idea is because circumstances change. If everything's going good for you right now, that's great. It won't forever. It may not last till the end of the day. If you're sick, you won't be sick forever. Circumstances change, and they usually change often, and they usually change pretty drastically. You can go from high to low in a matter of 30 minutes, if not even that. So it doesn't make much logical sense when we put our faith even on a subconscious level, when we attach ourselves to something that changes so often. Something a lot of the times we don't even have much control over, but we tie our emotions to it, we tie our circumstances to it, we tie our faith to it, and it changes. Here's another one. I like this one, because we know better. Even like secular people know this. We know better not to have faith in this. We do it all day. (laughs) Raise your hand if somebody's ever let you down. Everybody has. But we do it anyway. We put faith in all types of people. Why? Because they're tangible. I don't like the people that tell me, you know, it's easy to have faith. I don't like those people. Why? Because that's just not true. I can touch Ed. I don't want to touch Ed. But I can touch Ed if I wanted to. It's very difficult to touch Jesus. If you do, you're a lot farther down this walk than I am. But they're tangible. It's easy. It's hard to have faith. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. That's a lie from the devil. And then he tries to make you feel guilty, and that's a whole other thing. It's hard to have faith. Even the Bible says so. We put our trust in people and our faith in people because they gain our trust. My dad is like the greatest man I've ever met in my life. I can think of one time in my entire life that he's ever let me down. I can think of one time. It's very specific. But even the greatest man that I personally know has let me down. You cannot think of a person and not think of an instance where that person has met you down. Because the fact of the matter is, at one time or another, they did not meet your expectations. We do it because people are our support staff. And we often identify with people we're with. Um, Going back to self-help books, I'm going to reference one right now. Um, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. He says in there that you become the fifth man. And what he means by that is, if you've got a group of four people, and you insert yourself, you're going to be the fifth. So if you put yourself around four successful people, you're going to be the fifth one, if that's your circle of friends. But here's why it's a bad idea, in case you need me to spell it out for you. But everybody laughs, so I'm assuming we're pretty good on this one. Why it's a bad idea. Because people leave. People leave all the time. They unfriend you on Facebook, said something you didn't like. People are only good as much as they're loyal to you. And the fact of the matter is, that's pretty shallow. Here's the other thing. If you don't expect people to leave you, I don't know what to tell you. They left Jesus. They left him high and dry. Left him hanging on a cross. Buddies denying him. I mean, just as much of a letdown as you could ever have in people. They did it to Jesus. They're probably going to do it to you. Sorry. The other thing is people change. I'm different than I, if you trusted me when I was 16, first off, you weren't that smart. But second, I'm a different person than I was when I was 16. And if we stay friends for 10 years, 
the person that I'm friends with right now probably isn't going to be the same person in 10 years. So people change. People let you down. Circumstances change. Circumstances let you down. What else we got? Yourself. This is tough. I don't like this one. But this is why we do it. It requires the least amount of faith. The least amount. Of all the things you can put faith in. Yourself is the least amount. Why? Because you do not have to question yourself. I don't have to question my motives. I know whether my motives are good or not. You know what I mean? If somebody up and leaves me, I can question theirs. But I can't question mine. I know mine. I always understand myself. I don't need to sit down and rationalize things to myself. It's really easy to have faith in me. But this is where I need everybody to take a good, hard look at yourself. All right, you ready? This is going to get really nasty. If you look hard enough, you'll realize you've let yourself down more than anyone else has. Nobody's let you down like you let you down. I'm speaking from experience. I've done some stupid stuff. I mean, just dumb If I was placing a bet, I wouldn't place a bet on myself, so you really shouldn't. (laughs) I I love you guys, but really, if you're putting a whole lot of trust in me, you're betting on the wrong horse. And if you're betting on you, and you're not taking good, honest look at yourself, you're also betting on the wrong horse. It does not take a whole lot of searching the past to come to the realization you are probably not what you want to have faith in. The other reason, even if you disagree with that, you say, I disagree with that, I can trust myself. I'm like, okay, great, let's go back to this real quick. Even secular people say you can't. Even secular people tell you that you're responsible for meeting your own needs, you're responsible for your own happiness, you're responsible for your own self-actualization, that nowhere does anything else need to revolve around you. And my dad would always ask me a question. He'd be like, well, how's that working for you? Plain and simple. If you think I'm wrong, how's it working for you? I'm going to move on. That was bad. Okay. So now that all that's being said, this is why we shouldn't have faith in circumstances and other people and ourselves. And you're like, okay, well, you're kind of pushing me into a corner. Exactly. It's exactly where we're going to go. Right into a corner. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Jaden, do you want to come up and play keys for me? She's in here. Woo! Oh, Jay, oh, by the way, time out. So this is cool. Cool story. Um, so I didn't talk to Katie this morning. I didn't talk to Ed. I didn't, I, Jaden actually picked the set out, the worship set out this morning. She did. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And as cool as that is, I'm actually bragging on God because like the whole service fit together like cogs in a wheel. It was awesome. I love it. Even though they cut my preaching time short. We're going to have to talk about that. That's okay though. So we're going to, looking at this, there's just a couple takeaways. If you know this scripture, I'm just going to glance over it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. This is a story of the people. One built his house on sand. One built his house uh, on the rock. What I find interesting is the first most obvious assumption that we always come to is the rain beat on both houses. That is correct. I'm not trying to take away from that. No matter what you got your faith in, you're going to take a beating. But here's the thing. Architects built these houses. Like, you had to have some type of architectural experience to put a house up. And they placed a bet on the sand. Like, looked at it, figured it was okay, and did it anyway. 
And the problem is that a lot of the time when we're going throughout our day-to-day lives, we do the same thing. You attach yourself to your circumstances before you even realize it. You attach yourself to other people before you even realize it. You place bets on yourself before you even realize it. Very similar to what happens here. The rock is really what I kind of want to talk about because this leads us into this next story. I don't have any super detailed um, like visuals or anything like that, but I, w- I want to give you a different way to read a, a pretty important passage of Scripture, I think. So in all three of those things, circumstances, ourselves, and people, the main thing is that they change. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. No matter what, they're always changing. It's a bad idea to place a permanent bet on anything changing. Just, just saying. So if that's the case, our peace has to come from something that's unchanging. Right? I'm not trying to beat up your friends. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to beat your circumstances up. I'm just trying to get to show you that God, when he's wanting to be your rock, it's not because he's trying to rule your life, usurp everything. He's doing it because he sees these situations in a 2020 view like you do when you look back on things and sees that's the smartest thing to do. I want to look at the scripture real quick. Exodus 3, 1 through 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to a far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And for a lot of us, we've read this a lot. A couple things, a couple things to note before, before we get into why this matters. First off, Moses lived in the desert. Bushes caught on fire all the time. A fiery bush was not an unusual sight. He used to live in Texas. Stuff caught on fire all the time. The other thing was this was his bush on his property. It's not like he went off to a foreign land or anything. This was his bush on his property. Not only that, he's the son-in-law of a Midianite priest, happened to be a pagan, worshiping other gods in an idolatrous country, married to the priest, the priest's daughter. He's got a lot of land. He's rich. He's good. He met Maslow's needs. Like, he's good. Checked all the boxes. Good. But here's the thing. And this, this, this is the miracle that, you, that if I could just have you grab on, that this, this is what it is. The miracle of the bush was not that the bush was on fire. It's not that the bush was talking. The miracle of the bush was that the bush did not burn up. And at first sight, that seems kind of elementary. But this is what I mean. There's this word in the English language that's called immutable. You know what it means? It means unchanging over time or unable to be changed. The miracle of the bush was that the bush did not change when it was supposed to change. The miracle of the bush was that there was an immutable God in a mutable bush. That even though physics told the bush to change, the bush did not change. You're like, what does this have to do with peace? Here's the thing. You want peace? You want real peace. You want lasting peace. Peace that overcomes your circumstances, who you're with, your own personal failures. You have got to be this bush. And what I mean is you have to have an immutable God in your mutable bush. 
that's how you have peace. You cannot attach yourself to situations or other people or yourself. And when you look at it rationally, all of us can pretty much come to the same conclusion. Like, yeah, that's that's not a great idea. God, when he's referred to in the Bible as a rock, it, it doesn't mean that God looks like, you know, the Hulk or the thing or anything like that. It's an anthropomorphic term. What it means is, you know, the Bible uses words that we can relate to because there's not really a word for it. This is also an anthropomorphic term. It's used along the same lines. It's called immutable, unchanging over time, unable to be changed. It's not that God won't change. It's that God can't change. Your situations can change. Everything can change. But God cannot change. If your goal is peace, and that's what we're talking about, we spent the majority of the sermon talking about where not to put it. If you can remind yourself of where not to put it, that's half the battle. And then reminding yourself where to put it is the other half. Smartest thing you can do is put yourself in a position to where what you're anchored to is immutable. When you read the scripture, I want you to think an immutable God in a mutable bush. That's the secret to God is immutable. You are mutable. Everything about you is mutable. That's the key. It's recognizing that. So I want to pray over you guys real quick and let you guys go. This was a fantastic service today. Jess, you you crushed it. You got the spirit of God all over you. It's awesome. But God... I just thank you for Shiloh. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers, God. I thank you for the freedom that you bring. I thank you for this church being a medium. God, that people can come and meet you. God, I thank you for the fact that you're immutable. God, that you don't change, that you can't change, that you refuse to change, that my situations change, that I may be sick, I may be healthy, I may be rich, I may be poor, that people let me down, all that, but God, you do not change. Mm. God, you don't change. God, I ask you to remind us of that this week. God, I ask you to give us a check. Bring those subconscious tendencies we have to attach our faith to things to the surface. Remind us to attach our faith to something that is immutable. As for peace, as for a better understanding, God, as we go throughout, throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. This place is awesome. I think we got food downstairs. We do have food downstairs. Um, I know we spent all service talking about how bad people suck, but you should bring some next week. Sounds good. I love y'all. Um, Pastor Ed and myself will be up here in the front. Um, if we can pray for you guys, um, the, the altar call he gave this morning as far as addictions or anything, we'd love to pray with you guys about that. If you're having problems with peace, we'd love to pray with you about that. Anything we can do for y'all, let us know. Uh, my email is blake at shilohweb.com. This is Ed at shilohweb.com, and uh, we will see you next week, if nothing else.